0: Well, good morning, Bethel Christian Center. You glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It was worth coming just for that worship, man. If you're not awake and your heart ain't leaping from the worship, somebody said if that didn't that didn't start your fire, your wood's wet. Because it started my fire. Want to welcome you this morning? If you're visiting with us this morning and you're in front of your pew, there will be a connect card. If you'll take that and fill it out, just a little bit about you. Uh, we won't. We won't. Uh, pester you, we promise, but we just want to know a little bit about you, and if you're sitting next to someone who's new, be sure you welcome them and maybe point out the uh, Connect card to them. So I have the privilege of doing announcements this morning, and I was asked, are you going to be as peppy as Christy? Well, the answer is no. Nobody can be as peppy as Christy. Uh, Sister Christy and Brother Michael, our youth pastors, as you know, they're going on a vacation, a skiing trip. And so uh, I have to try to, you know, be Sister Christy this morning. I'm going to just confess I can't be Sister Christy. So you'll just have to put up with me on that. We do have several announcements, though, and some of them are in your bulletin and some of them are not. And so I'm going to go through these, and I hope that you'll follow along. Uh, I don't have my phone on me when I'm preaching. I don't put my phone on me because inevitably somebody will call and that thing starts buzzing. And so uh, if you like me, though, I live by that phone. If it's not in my calendar, I'm not going to be there more than likely. So if you're like that, get your phone out now because there's a couple important dates coming up. And go ahead and put them in, and that way you won't forget them. But we're doing our 40 days of fasting right now. If you haven't joined us in that, I hope you will. I hope you will experience what it means to push back away from the table or something that God has dealt with you on to give up for a while for him. Folks, there's many ways to do that. We know Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to attempt that. But if you have never experienced what it means to push away from the table a little bit, maybe a meal a day, uh, maybe a sun up to sun down, maybe after a certain time, there is something uniquely spiritual about that. And I cannot explain it to you. It's one of those things, like many things with our walk, you have to experience for yourself. But we hope that you will step out and, and involve yourself with that. Next is the night of worship. That is February the 9th. February the 9th. That's one of the things I want you to put in your calendar. It's coming up soon. Brother Matt and the worship team really prepare for that. If you have never come and just worship the Lord for an hour and a half, it's an hour and a half of what you experienced this morning during praise and worship. And, and, and the Lord says he inhabits our praise. He lives there. And so if you've never been to one of the nights of worship, February 9th, uh, and that, what, what time will that start, Matt? At 6 o'clock. We hope that you'll come and be a part of that. The youth are doing a a youth night, that's at 6.30 on January the 30th. They'll be leaving uh, from Bethel to go to Greystone at 6.15. Uh, Once again, that's January 30th. And then there is a kids art show next Sunday after church. Now let's make sure we support our little kids. I've seen the little art they've done back there and I think what they're gonna ask you to do is, you know, when service is over, we're ready to fly out and, and go get our chicken and I understand that. But let's, we, they're going to ask you to detour through the fellowship hall and see what the kids have done and spend a little time uh, with our children. And then there's a uh, our Pastor Don's and Sister Carol's 50th anniversary of, of ministering and being pastors and a pastor's wife has come. Fifty years. Can you imagine 50 years? I really can't. But we're going to honor him as a church, and we're going to honor those 50 years. And that is the last Saturday and Sunday of February and the first Sunday of March. And I hope you will go ahead and put that in your calendars. There is actually a sign-up at BethelDurham.com. We're going to need some help. We're going to have to be setting up the fellowship hall. There will be some more information coming about that. But we want you to be a part of that, and we certainly want you to come, and let's honor our pastor and his wife for 50 years of ministry. And then lastly, and Brother Dan will be reaching out to you personally on this, we have a Friday night prayer here. He's going to be asking all the leaders of the church, if you would plan to be here this coming Friday night, and we want to anoint the leaders of this church for God's hand and God's blessing in your life as you are a part of the leadership team of this church. So that's this Friday night, and Brother Dan will be reaching out to you uh, as well on that. Before I move into the message, <clears throat> this, this Sunday, all across this nation, many other churches will be recognizing this Sunday as sanctity of life. Forty-six years ago, at about this time, the landmark decision of Roe v. Wade was was decided. And since that time, 54 million babies have been aborted in the United States. And as followers of Christ, church, we have to believe and stand for life. We have to believe and stand for life. I remember when, um, the, when Hayden was born, my oldest son, and I remember seeing that ultrasound. And the girl was sitting there, and she was looking at that thing, and she was like, okay, so here's his leg, and, and here's his foot, and here's his arm. And I was like, I don't see it. You know, is this thing get better reception? Because I don't see what you're seeing. And that's been a long time ago. But when she put that marker over that heart, I could see it beating. I could see it beating. And then fast forward many years later, a, a young female officer. Now, when we found out that female officers was pregnant, we immediately took them off. If they were in the street, they come off the street because we ironically, we know there's a baby in there, and we don't want to take chances on that child getting injured. So as soon as we know that a female officer is pregnant, we ask her to come inside and and work light duty, okay? And, And so several years ago, she came and said, I want you to see my ultrasound. And that's when the 3D ultrasounds came out, and she showed me something that looked like that. And I was like, wow, that's a child in there. That is definitely a baby in there. Because before, one of the talking points is, well, it's just a blob, it's just a mass, it's not a living child. And folks, all that did was show that technology simply confirmed what God's word has always said. When when God spoke to Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And then if you remember the story of Elizabeth, who was carrying the John the Baptist and she gets into the presence of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the Bible says that John leaped in her mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know that there's life in there. Clearly, God's Word tells us there's life in there. But church, as we, as we deal with this, as we confront this in the culture, and it is a very hot-button issue. You, if you see, you know that it is. And people have strong passions on each side. And as God's, as God's people, we should always stand on truth, but we should do it with grace. We should do it with grace. And we support a ministry here called Pregnancy Support Services because the reality of it is young ladies sometimes often find themselves in a situation and they feel ashamed, they're embarrassed, they're afraid they're going to be judged, particularly by the church, and that should never be counted amongst us as the believers. I don't ever want there to be a time in Bethel Christian Center when a young lady finds herself in that situation and she don't feel like she can reach out to one of the older ladies in our church and say, I need help. And that we won't rally around that young lady as a church and say, there's options. There's another way. Don't buy into what the culture tells you. Listen to what God says and then come along around beside him." And there's a ministry here in Durham that does that, and it's called Pregnancy Support Services. And I have a chance to go last week, and Brother Todd is, is one of the liaisons with them. Brother Todd, I appreciate his passion for this. He does the baby bottle campaigns, and we'll be doing one of those again in the future. But last Sunday, they had an hour of prayer at, at Pregnancy Support Services, and I, and I went there and, and spent an hour in prayer with many other church who had come. And we spent some time there. And so I, well, inside your bulletin is a little card like this. And I hope that you will take that card. It tells about pregnancy support services, and I hope that you'll put it in your purse. Or if you're like me, if I have something that's really important to me, I take a picture of it with my phone front and back. And if you find out there's a young lady in our congregation at your workplace or somewhere who's found herself in this situation, just simply make this referral. Their their statistics show that if they get a young lady in the door and she can see that ultrasound, that she sees what I saw, that the chances that she chooses abortion are much much less. And there's women in there who love God, who will counsel with her and give her other options. And I think it's done the right way. And so we support this ministry. I hope that you will take a look at this card. It tells a little bit about the ministry and that you will have this readily available if you find yourself or find someone in that situation. Some of you may not know that our very own Matt Fisher's brother runs a very large nonprofit right-to-life organization, and so I've asked him if he would just take a couple minutes and tell us a little bit about what it is his brother does uh, for this cause.
1: I have to get out my phone because everything's on the phone. So um, about two years ago, my brother and his family were actually in this church. It's the only time that he's actually been with us at Bethel in the eight or so years since I've been coming here. Does anybody remember when my brother was here? A few of you do. Um, so what you might remember is, is that he sat down at that thing and made it sound really, really awesome. <laughs> um, so my brother and I, it's funny, you know—we're we're a little bit different. I went to engineering school and God has a sense of humor and I've been a praise and worship leader for 20 years. My brother went to music school, and when you go to music school, you don't always get a good job when you come out. And uh, my brother has taken the most miraculous path to get where he is today, but um, what he does is he runs Human Coalition which used to be called Online for Life, and I'll tell you why it was called Online for Life, but he is the president of this nonprofit there in Frisco, Texas, and uh, it's amazing what they do. So let me ask you this. In the 21st century, if you don't know something, what's the first thing you do to start finding out? (laughs) Yeah, you Google it, right? You go on your phone, you go on your computer. Well, guess what? for a young woman or even a young man who is searching for information about abortion, where's the first place they go? Online. So about 10 years ago, um, my brother and a guy that he worked with, a good friend of his, had this idea. What if we could reach abortion-minded women and men because abortion is not a woman's problem? What if we could reach abortion-minded people right at the point where they are beginning to look into this. And instead of steering them towards Planned Parenthood, we steered them towards a pro-life type of, a, of an organization and they did this and originally it was called online for life and that's why because i I don't know if you're aware of this but you know internet search is a huge business you probably are aware of that and people pay a lot of money so that when you type in your subject of interest it's their link that shows up at the top of your search list because how many of you will actually scroll to the second page okay nobody rarely and so what they've done is, in, st- in certain markets around the United States, they have bought the right to be listed first. And what they've now done over the intervening 10 years is they have opened up pro-life clinics in cities where abortion is particularly problematic. Now, it's problematic everywhere. okay? But Atlanta, Memphis, Cleveland, okay, big cities, cities that might not necessarily be doing well, abortion tends to be a really big problem. And so what they do is they intercept those queries and they try to get these women and men to call a contact center that immediately starts what they call the compassionate care cycle. And they minister, they try to get them to come in, and as Larry said, once a young lady, young, once a woman or a man sees that ultrasound, something often changes. Okay, There's a lot of propaganda out there over what a six-week-old Fetus is or is not, but once you see it and you see that it's a child, it changes, right? We all have humanity. God built us with that, and this takes advantage of that. So they're harnessing the power of the internet to try to reach abortion-minded people at their point of greatest need. And as he said, once you actually make that that establishment and you show that there is care and there is compassion, many many women and men will choose not to abort. Now, um, let me give you a statistic, okay? Does anybody know how many children on on an average day are aborted in the United States every day? What's the number that's typically thrown out? Okay, it's 3,000, 3,000 a day, okay? Think about that, 3,000 a day. And that's where when you add up the math, you get that 54 million ever since Roe v. Wade went into effect. Ten years ago, there was no way to measure how many children weren't being aborted every day. And what Human Coalition has done is they now, because of their network, and I won't, I won't go into all the details, go to humancoalition.org if you're interested. The whole story is right there. It's a great website. Um, what they do is they measure... The effectiveness of the outreach and so every single day there is a counter on humancoalition.org that shows how many abortion-minded women have chosen life as a result of this particular mechanism and what i can tell you is over those nine ten years as of yesterday it was up to eleven thousand two hundred and twenty and you might say, well, that hardly seems like anything. There's 3,000 a day being aborted, and In over 10 years, they've saved 11,220. Well, what if you were one of the 11,220? It's a pretty big deal to you. And what I will tell you is that as time goes on, the daily number goes up. Okay, we've been praying for them for a long time. And when they started, they might have one or two a day. In 20, what are we in? 2019, the typical day now is anywhere from 15 to 20. So that's 15 to 20 out of that 3,000 kids that are alive because of this and not dead. So if it was, you know, one eight years ago, it's 15 to 20 today, project ahead 10 years. Okay, their goal is to eradicate abortion in, in the United States. Now, there are others who have that same goal, and there's lots of people working towards this. But it's amazingly powerful, and uh, this, is, this is my little brother. So last thing, he's written a couple of books about this. Um, you still have my books. Yeah, Todd's got my book. So I have the two books that my brother wrote. Actually, Todd has the two books that my brother wrote. But um, they, are, they basically describe the problem much differently than what you hear in the media. Okay? It's not a women's problem. It's actually a men's problem. And it's fascinating to read how he, how he recasts this. And if we could accept that, it would change everything. So please remember to pray if you're interested. Humancoalition.org.
0: Thank you. God's working everywhere through all kinds of ministries and all kinds of people, folks. He has, he's, he's not lost his, his ability to move and, and, and change people's lives. This morning, if you didn't get an outline, please raise your hand, and Brother, Brother Steve will be sure that you get one. Over the summer, I had the opportunity to read this book called David the Great. Dr. Mark Rutland, who's coming for Pastor's 50th, by the way, and if you've never heard Dr. Mark Rutland speak, I would please come just to hear Dr. Rutland speak. I've had a chance to hear him speak, an amazing, amazing speaker. But he wrote this book called David the Great, and I got it and started reading it over the summer. And, and it is one of the best books I have ever read. And I, I will encourage you, particularly for, for my brothers in the Lord out there, get this book and read it. It, it reads like a story. It's not a hard read. It's an easy read. But it it describes the life of this very complicated man. And and Dr. Rutland built leadership principles into this. So if you're in any form of leadership, if you're in any form of leadership in your workplace, and if you're a dad, you're in leadership. And ladies, it could be for you too. It's about David, but the leadership principles apply. Read David the Great. You can get it off Amazon or whatever, and you can see, see the cover of it. But when you think about David and the life of David, this book prompted me to start just reading and studying more about the life of David. And when you read and study and begin to get into the life of David and you begin to understand that in the Old Testament, the, the life of David is found in 1 and 2 Samuel. So if you want to read it, go read 1 and 2 Samuel. If you, and I don't know if you do or not, but if you ladies happen to watch soap operas out there, soap operas don't have nothing on this man's life. If you like action stories, action stories don't have nothing on this man's life. The story plots, the things that go on in his life, is just amazing. But what, what I found fascinating as I, as I think about David is that in Samuel, God said he was a man after my own heart. And then that was confirmed in Acts when they said that David, David is a man after God's own heart. And when we think about David, probably the most common, commonly known story about David is the story of David and Goliath. And I understand that because it's a great story. The reason it's probably most commonly known is it's taught in Sunday schools. You know, it's a story about a young boy who kills a giant. We love to see the underdog win. And so most of our thinking about David as we come through church, if you are raised in churches, about this young boy who killed Goliath and how strong, how he trusted God and how God met his need. And that's good. That's good. But you know what? You don't hear quite as much about David about these stories about David. You don't hear as much about the fact that he lied to a priest to eat the showbread in the temple and he got a, about, about 180 other priests massacred because of, what, because of that lie. You don't hear as much about the fact that this same man who had all this belief and this trust in God, he went to a place called Gath and he was afraid of that king there. So you know what he, the Bible says he did? It said he acted like a madman. He started scratching at the walls and foaming at the mouth on purpose, letting it run down his beard so that the king would look at him and say, I don't know if many of you saw the movie As Good As It Gets, but, but Jack Nicholson looked at somebody and he said, go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all filled up here. <laughs> and that's what that king did. He said, tell that, that madman to get out of here. I, we don't need another, another crazy guy here. And, and they got rid of him. And it, and it was all just a just show He did not have the Ark of the Covenant carried by God's commands. He had it carried on an oxen and it got off kilter a little bit and when it started to fall another man put his hand up to stop it and he died instantly. And that was David's fault. He knew how that Ark should have been carried but he didn't do that. And we know a little bit about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and then his murder to to cover that up. That is covered a little bit. But there are Time and time again, you see David do these great things for the Lord. But then you see him just fail miserably, sin large. And then God, you say he's a man after your own heart? How, how can that possibly be? In today's pointing fingers at each other evangelistic society where we just tear each other apart, can you imagine what they would do to King David on Facebook today? They would tear this man to shreds. Wouldn't they? But he was a man after God's own heart. And so as I begin to study this and look at this, I begin to see a little bit why this was a man after God's own heart. And you can go through almost every single chapter of First and Second Samuel and pull a principle out of that that still applies to our lives today. But today I just want to cover First Samuel 16, First Samuel 16, and this is about the anointing of King David. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 23 verses. It's not not too long, 23 verses. And then we're going to take a look at a few of the principles and a few of the things that may give us an indication as to why this man was a man after God's own heart and a little bit about the the heart of the God that we serve. So if you'll follow along with me, 1 Samuel 16. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Church, let me do this. Before I read this, let me bring you up to where we are. Context is important. Before I read this, let me bring you up to where this is. Samuel is the prophet of the nation of Israel. Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like other nations. How many of you know we've got to be careful wanting to be like other people? That gets us in trouble. We need to be like what God wants us to be. But Israel wanted a king, and Samuel was the prophet at that time. So they said, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king. So Samuel, so God relented. He said, you know what? I'm going to give them a king. Let them pick a king. And they picked this king, and his name was Saul. Saul sinned in the eyes of the Lord. But you might say David sinned in the eyes of the Lord. I'll talk about that a little bit later. God told Saul, he said, look, when you go into this battle against the Amalekites, I want you to kill them all. I want you to kill their donkeys. I want you to kill their oxen. I want you to kill everything. Saul didn't do that. He let the king live. And then he brought back the choice cattle and he brought those things back. And and God became angry. And he told Samuel, he said, go tell Saul I'm ripping the kingdom away from him. I'm going to give it to a man after my own heart. And Saul began to make excuses like we always do. He said, well, you know, uh, it was the people who brought the the plunder back. And I thought it would be good to let the king live. Samuel said, no, you should have done what the Lord told you to do. And so he tells him, I'm going to give this kingdom to a man after my own heart. And he tells Samuel, he says, go see a man named Jesse. He's got some sons. And that, the next anointed king is going to come from those sons. And that's where we're at in 1 Samuel 16. So if you'll read with me. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? Keep in mind, Samuel was the prophet, but he was also the last judge before the king. They had a lot of power. They could have people killed. So so when he said, I'm coming to your town, the people got nervous and said, what you coming for? And he said, I'm coming peaceably. And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come to me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and then he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and bright eyes and good looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from the God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand, and when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and he sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this. This is just a a moment in history. These events actually happened. But God, in your word, there are principles for us today. We see your hand in the life of David. God, we see the nature of the God that you are. There's so much we can still learn from your word because it's true in all that it teaches and says to us. So I pray your anointing on it. Lord, I pray that it won't be my words, but your words. Lord, and I pray that the hearers, God, that someone here has something to hear from you, that they will hear it through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So if you take a look at your paper, it's just a guide. Look, I don't you just go through a couple of things we can glean out of this encounter about David being anointed. It's called Lessons from the Anointed King. First, if you'll take a look, David was just a shepherd. He was out shepherding sheep when all this... David had no idea what was about to happen to him. And as we go out through our life as followers of Christ, you might be at work, you might be in school, but if you're one of his, he's got something he's working on. It's not until many times till later in life, as Brother Dan stated when it comes to giving, it's not until we look back sometimes that we see what it is that God has done for us, that we've seen his hand in our lives. David would have had no idea that he was out there as a shepherd boy. Now, had God already impressed something in David's heart? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But all I do know is he was just a shepherd, but he would soon be a king. God had already made that decision. And when God makes his decision on things, those plans are going to happen. And God has made his decision that Saul was no longer going to be king, and David was. If you'll look at 1 Samuel 13 and 14, Tammy will pull that up on the screen. This is is Samuel talking to Saul. He said, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded You, When God makes the decision, it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing, there will be times as a follower of the Lord, you will look back in your life and you'll say, God directed my path right there. And God was directing David's path. God is preparing David David even as a shepherd for his use. You don't really see that until you go into the story of David and Goliath. I've got a rock here. Now, I told Brother Matt what I was going to do with this rock. I was going to look around and see who was sleeping. I was going to see how good I could throw it. But I ain't seen anybody sleeping yet, so I'm not going to throw it. This rock, this rock came out of the Valley of Elah. Tammy and I had a chance to go to Israel this past year in, in 18. I got to stand in the Valley of Elah. That's where the story of David and Goliath took place. I told the guys this morning, I was talking, I said, you know, I believe this is the very rock that took David down. I think I'm going to have it DNA tested. It's not, I'm sure it's not. But it was, it was fascinating to stand there in that valley in light of this story, church, and to know that what the Bible says is that the Philistine army was on one side, the Israel army was on the other side, and the, Israel, and the Philistine army brought out this guy, this giant. Now some, some scholars say he was nine foot six. Some say he was only six, six. But keep in mind that Jewish men at that time would have been five, 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 seven. So even if you're 5557 five, and, and, and Goliath is 6'8 and all his armor on, he's a big guy. And you know what he did? He stood there and he said, I defy the armies of Israel. And I thought about this morning as we were singing that song, I didn't even know Brad was in it, and he said, Every high thing must come down. Anything that sets itself up against the power of God and his authority, it is coming down. Goliath didn't know it yet, but he was coming down. But David did. David knew he was coming down. And how did David know that? If you look at, look at 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. But David said to Saul, now, this is David. He's, he's about to fight Goliath. Okay? He's about to fight. He, he comes out. He's still shepherding at this point. And he runs down to give his brother some supplies because his brothers were warriors. And his first brother, Eliab, says, Look, squirt, what are you doing here? Get on back to the shepherd field where you belong. And David sees this giant and he sees the soldiers and everybody's afraid of him. And David says, what's going on? And he hears that Philistine say, I defy Israel. I defy Israel. And this is one of, you know, get hold to a couple of scriptures in the Bible. Everybody should have a life verse. I have mine. This is not my life verse, but it's still one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because I see David standing there and he looks at the Philistines and he looks at his brothers and his soldiers. And he sees that soldier standing there. And I can see him looking around, and I can see him putting his hand up with all kinds of boldness and saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And it helps me to know that one day I'm going to stand and I'm going to face a battle, and some of you have faced a battle. And if you'll have that type of boldness, you can look at that thing and say, who is this? Who is Satan that he would come against me and defy the God that lives in me? And I want to be as bold as David was when that time comes, and he was He was confident. But what gave David his confidence? David was confident because he had seen God, he had trusted God in the little things, and he was prepared for the big thing. If you look at 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, and I struck it. I delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. David knew. God was already preparing David. David probably had no idea in those battles out there where he was killing the lions and he was killing the bears. He was right by himself that God was preparing him. David, one day I'm going to stand you before a giant. And you're going to have so much confidence and so much faith in me that you're going to bring him down. And God, folks, we have to be faithful in the little things. If we think we're ever going to stand in the big things, you know, there's people that will say, well, when the time comes, if I have to stand on my faith, and they say, it's your head, or deny Jesus, or I'm going to cut your head off. People will say, oh, right, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. But you look at their lives and the patterns of their lives, and they ain't even trusting God with little things. But you're going to trust him when that type of persecution comes? Folks, our faith is built on day-to-day trust, day-to-day, winning day-to-day battles. He called David from a really unusual place. Called him from the shepherd's field. God's always called people from unusual places. He called Gideon from a, from a, from a uh, threshing wheat. He actually called, and this man didn't get a chance to do any work, but he called a thief off of a cross. He told a thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. He called every one of those disciples. They were fishermen, tax collectors. They weren't royalty. Most of them were hated. And that's who Jesus called. And he still calls people in some unusual places, in some unusual ways. I asked Sister Juanita, she's here with us today, and you all usually see her up here rejoicing before the Lord, and you might say, you might even say a run every once in a while. You might wonder why. But if you've ever heard Sister Juanita's testimony, and she said it was okay if I shared it, she said God saved her out of a marijuana field. She's in there doing her thing in a marijuana field, and there was a tent set up, and they needed to get rid of it because it looked like some squatters had come in. And she said when she went over there to remove that tent, there was a book in there, about some book about Satan, and she thought it was a book about people worshiping Satan, but she said as she began to look at it, it began to explain the Gospels. And she said that God spoke to her heart. And then she did what we all do. She's like, well, God, I'm not good enough. I've been too bad. I've done all this. And he, she said, God said, come just as you are. Come as you are. And God miraculously saved her. So you wonder why she rejoices before the Lord? Because God saved her from an unusual place. But the question for me and you is when he pulls at your heart, and I'm convinced that every person, even Romans says that every person has an opportunity to respond to God. He deals with every person somehow, some way. The question is, folks, when he deals with you, respond. When the merciful God of heaven says, tugs at your heartstrings, respond. He's doing that for a purpose. Number two, appearances. I'm going to do two and three together in the interest of time. Appearances have nothing to do with God's plans. Status and position have nothing to do with God's plans. We look at those things. We do. We do. And I'm not going to cover the scripture, but that's the reason Saul was picked. The Bible says that Saul was picked for two reasons. He was good looking and he was tall. Now I know some of you ladies might think that's two pretty good reasons for me. I think that might be all right. But, but it's not. It's not. But that's the only reason that he was chosen. And so much of the outward appearance affects our self-esteem. We may think, well, God can't use me. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a whatever. I might just be a trash. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters to God. If you'll open yourself to him, you make yourself available to him, you become one of his and you say, Lord, I want to do something for you. He will use you. And your status, your looks, your status in society will not matter at all in that. If you're a young person here today, none of that matters. Because I know those things matter when you're younger. They matter to me. They matter to me. But I'm going to tell you, God is ready to use whoever's willing to open his heart to them. You know, even the prophet Samuel was about to do that same thing. Even the prophet Samuel, when when Jesse was parading his sons in front of of Samuel, so so God said, said, uh, Samuel, go on out here, see Jesse, because I'm going to pick one of his sons. And he's parading all his sons in front of him. In 1 Samuel 16 and 6, it says this, "So, So it was that when they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab was one of the sons. Guess what? He was tall. He was good looking. He was a battle warrior. And even the prophet said, surely this is him. He was about to do the same thing that that the whole nation had done when he picked Saul. And God had to remind the prophet. He said, don't, no, no. God don't look at those things. He don't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the inward appearance. David was just a shepherd. He was the youngest son who was the least of the sons. And you know what, he wasn't even, when the prophet came and said, go bring your sons to me, he didn't even include David. He marched all his sons out in front of him, and, and Samuel was waiting for the Lord to speak to him and say which one it was. And Samuel even thought it was going to be one, a couple that he'd seen. And when he, any of them, Samuel says, have you got some more sons? Because I ain't heard from the Lord. He says, oh, I got David out there in the shepherd's field. Jesse didn't even include him. He said, go get him. Bring him in here. And we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. And so they're standing there. Now imagine this. David comes walking in. There stands all his brothers, his dad, the prophet. And like I said, the prophet was a big deal. So the prophet being there would have been. So David walks in in the middle of that. He, he's probably dirty. His hair's all messed up. Smells like a sheep, whatever they smell like. And he probably looks around. And he's like, what's going on? And just that quick, when he does that, the prophet walks up, and he—it it's not some little anointing oil. It's a horn of oil. It would have been an animal horn full of oil. Samuel walks over to him and just pours it right on top of his head. And, and there stands David, and he's like, what? what's going on? And the Samuel would have said, You've been, you are the next king of Israel. And the Bible says that the Lord was with David here's what I find fascinating what happens after that it's number four of your law. Wow. now if that had been me and quite frankly if it had been you and the king had come and he poured you oil he said you are the next king of Israel you probably would have said like me hot dog when do I get the palace when's my private chariot coming when's my my, my bodyguard detail coming when do I get the gold and the silver and all? I'm ready let's do it but that's really not what David did what happened? I think David said, okay, this is nice, but I, I got sheep to tend to. And he walked right back out to the, to the shepherd's field. He walked right back out to the shepherd's field and continued to be a shepherd. Now, at the same time that the Spirit of the Lord leaves David, I mean, leaves Saul, it comes to David. Now, Saul... He becomes tormented, and this man was crazy. And if you follow this story, if you read this story, and I hope you will, you'll see some of the crazy things that Saul did because he became so angry and jealous of David. But David, in addition to being a warrior, in addition to being a good shepherd, he's also a good musician. And Saul has found out that if, when they play a harp, that this tormenting spirit seems to leave him and he can actually sleep. So Saul says to his servants, is there somebody who can come play for me when I'm trying to sleep so I can can rest and this tormenting spirit won't torment me? And he said, there is a man, David. He's the son of Jesse. And he said, will you bring him to me? And Jesse loads up David and he takes some uh, wine and some bread and he takes it to the king. Now, if that had been me, you've just been anointed the king, but you're going to see the appointed king. I think I would have been like, ooh, what does he want? Because the king had a lot of power too. Does he know, has, tra- has word traveled back that I am now going to be the king of Israel? What's Saul going to do to me? But he didn't. He went on back. He, he, went, to, he went to Saul's palace. Because here is what David recognized. He recognized that he was the anointed king, but that Saul was still the appointed king. He didn't go over there. He didn't try to overthrow Saul. Saul. He didn't go in there saying, guess what? I have been appointed the king, and this guy's on his way out. The Bible says he became his armor bearer and played for him. He was a servant. He was a servant to David. Because he knew, if I go in now and I start trying to throw overthrow the king, this isn't going to go well. And you know, he probably would have had a right to. Saul's gone crazy. He's doing some crazy things. It's not good for the nation of Israel. And he could have said, you know, the man is crazy. Get rid of him. I need to become the king. He did not do that. David was willing to use his musical talent to calm the king, and God was with David. Now you may ask, you may say, that's a good story, Larry, but what does that mean to me today? How does any of that apply to my life today? First, number five, trust God's timing with your lives. Folks, we must trust God's timing with our lives That is probably one of the hardest things. And as I studied and spent time over this message, this is the area that God had me to really stress to you all. We have to trust God's timing with our lives. We want to see things done right now. David, when he was anointed king, he was either 14 or 15 years old. Do you know how old he was before he became the appointed king? He was 30. So he waited either 16 or 15 years from the time that Samuel anointed him to the time he came to King. We don't want to wait 14 or 15 minutes. We want God to do it, and we want him to do it right now. Because we live in the all, almighty, let's get things done right now American culture. And God doesn't work that way. He does not work that way. I've said this before. We are microwave Christians serving a crockpot God. And we have to be willing to trust his timing. And I've got a few things on your paper for us today that we really have to be willing. First is healing. We believe in healing in this church. If you're sick, we want you to do what the Bible says. We want you to call upon the elders of the church. I've done that. I hope you've done that. Come down. We're going to anoint you, and we're going to trust God. Brother Neil. I've seen God progressively heal him. When he had his his accident, when he had his aneurysm, this church prayed. We prayed. We know God has the power to heal him instantly. Completely restore him. And we want to see that happen. And we believe he still can. But what happens if we're not so careful? We say, well, God hadn't done that. But we were quick to miss the fact that he has progressively and slowly healed him right before our very eyes. In his timing. In his timing. Family. Some of, you, some of your family members are out and they're away from the Lord. They're involved in all kinds of things. You just can't see it changing. And you're praying, and you've been praying a long time, and you can't see it changing. You keep praying. God will move in His time. Every time I use this, I have to think about Brother Junius. Many of I miss Junius in the church. God took him home a couple years ago. You know his story. Just a humble man of God, but an alcoholic for many years. And Pastor said his mom prayed for him and prayed for him. She didn't get to see it, but one day he came down an altar and he submitted himself. And now he's gone, and he walks the streets of gold with his mom, and she's seen her prayers answered. She's seen those prayers answered, not in her timing, but in God's timing. And lastly, with our future. You might be asking God for a job. You might be asking for a mate. I don't know what it is you're asking for. Maybe it's a promotion, whatever it is. But, you know, when you come to the Lord and you're willing to trust his timing, there's so much peace in that. When you can stand and say, Lord, you know where I'm in need at. You know what I need here. But I'm going to trust your timing. I'm going to pray and I'm going to watch. And sometimes it won't be until you look back a few years that you see God was moving and God was working. Think about Lazarus. Think about Lazarus. He had to trust God's timing. And you know what? When we get ahead of God, don't get ahead of him. Because when you say, God, I've been waiting on you long enough, I'm going to make this thing happen myself. Now, you ain't bringing me a mate, I'm going to go find me one. You ain't doing this, I'm going to go make it happen. You're going to make a mess. Every time that ever happened in the scriptures, they made a mess. They made a mess. Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. He was old, and he couldn't see that happening, real old. So he said, well, God ain't moving, I'm going to move. And then he has a a child with his maidservant, Ishmael, and we've been paying for that for years. Father of the Arab people. Father of the Arab people. Still, the battle between the Arab people and the children of Israel. Don't get ahead of God. Grow where you are. What does God have you? Where does he have you in your workplace? Where does he have you at school? What has he gifted you with? Grow where you are. Don't try to get ahead of him. Be willing to submit yourself. Saul, I'm sorry, David was willing to submit himself to Saul. God's timing was perfect in that. He said that David was his armor bearer and he played music for him. Do you know that for his armor bearer, that means that David would have gone everywhere Saul went. And I think what God was doing, he was introducing this king, to, this, this king to, their, to their nation. Israel had a chance to see David. They had a chance to see the presence of God on David. And, when, and just the time was right, God had already prepared the nation for their new king. And I don't know how God is preparing you, but you just have to be willing to trust in his timing, and use the gifts and the talents that God has given to you. In closing, I want to read a... Uh, An excerpt out of this book, at the end of this book, with Dr. Mark Rutland. Brother Matt, will you and your team come on forward? This is what Dr. Rutland says at the end of this book. He says, we are so quick to judge each other, are also delighted to judge the likes of David. God's favor on David's life disturbs us. It upsets our theological and legalistic apple carts. It sorely tempts us to argue with God, to whine about the divine fascination with this not-so-holy Jewish king. Look at him, Lord, we want to complain. Look at what he did. Look how he sinned. It's right there in the Bible. Look at his life. What do you see in him? That's just it, answers the Lord. I saw in him. You can see David's sins, so did I, and he suffered for them. In church, when we as followers of the Lord sin, if you don't repent and turn away from that, you're going to suffer for it. There's going to be consequences, and David paid heavy consequences for his. You see his life from the outside. I saw in him, I saw the heart of my servant David, and I knew that his heart was after my heart. I never forgot that. Sometimes David forgot, but I never did. And David was the one who said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Folks, I think one of the reasons David was a a man after God's own heart, the reason that over and over and over again, the reason Israel suffered because God said to them, you've turned your face away from me. You're following other gods. You're burning incense to other gods. David never did that. When David rejoiced, when the Ark of the Covenant came into Jerusalem, and the Bible says David danced with all his might, he was doing that before his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob the God that we serve now through Christ Jesus. When David sinned and he fell on his face and he had to do it a many a time and repent, it was to God. It won't to any other God. It was to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we get to do that same thing, but you know what? We have a better David. God told David, He said, I'm going to establish your throne and it's, going to, and it's, it's not ever going to end. And surely David thought that was going to be a natural thing. Throne. Even the, even the disciples of Jesus' day thought that that was who was going to establish that natural throne, but it wasn't. That throne that's been established forever is established through Christ Jesus. And as much access as David had to God and he seemed to, I have better access because of Christ. Now when I like things are going well in my life and I stand and give him praise, it's to Jesus Christ. When I fall on my face and say, God, have mercy on me, it's to Jesus Christ. Because I have perfect access to God. When he died on that cross, the veil tore. And I get to have intimacy with him even greater than David had. And just as surely as David stood before Goliath and the the high thing that set itself against God come down, when Jesus of Nazareth stepped out of the grave in church, he is alive the high things came down. David may have taken down Goliath, but Jesus stepped out of the grave with the keys of death and hell and the fear of that. All the high things came down. And he just asked you to come. He just asked you to come. Come. Come to me. Repent of your sin. Follow me. Are you going to get it right all the time? Nope. You're not. But I'll tell you what, the longer you walk with him, the more you'll get it right the more you'll get it right. If you've never submitted yourself to Christ, Billy Graham said this. He said, I've never met a man who surrendered himself to Jesus Christ and, and regretted it. You'll talk to a lot of people who have a lot of regrets. Not that. You'll never regret it. I told you as I was going over this that where the Lord was really impressing on me is his timing. And out here in this congregation, there are some of you, and I know you're waiting on God's timing on something. You have been for a while and you're saying God when are you going to move and if that's you this morning I'm going to ask everyone if you will to stand I know it's getting close to 12 and I'm going to ask some folks to come down in a moment and if you feel like you need to leave I want to thank you for coming but I hope you'll stay we, we believe in prayer here we believe in bearing each other's burdens here because God helps us but also we help each other we help each other but if you're here this morning and you're, something is going on in your life, it could be with a family, it could be with a job, I don't know what it is, but it has really been burdening you. And you just want somebody to just kind of come up behind you and pray with you. I want you to come forward and stand right here. I'm not going to wait long. If there's something in your life and you've been praying, and you said, I just I'm trusting God's timing, Larry, but it's just getting harder, I want you to come and stand. some of you I know what that is some of you I may not and I'll tell you I don't know what God's going to do I'm looking at a bunch of people who trust him I know that and David had to trust him but I know that whether God takes you out of the storm or whether he calms you in the storm he's going to move in your life and so what I want to ask now is everyone else if you see someone here you know if we have some ladies I want you to come gather behind these ladies you have some men gather behind the men And I just want you to ask them, what can I join with you in prayer? So if you will, and all the rest of you, just come forward. Find somebody here to gather with, to pray with. All who will, come forward. Matt's going to sing a song in a minute that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because Christ is alive, you can face whatever it is you're dealing with. He's faithful. He's faithful. He was faithful to David. He'll be faithful to us. So let me pray. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to gather around. I want you to find out what, what can I join with you with. What can I bear your burden with? And let's pray for each other. Father, I thank you, God, for who you are. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that as David stood before a giant, the boldness that he had. But God, sometime in our human flesh, we know, God, that you're still the God who slayed the giant. We know that you're the God who stepped up out of the grave. And you said, come unto me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But in our flesh, sometime we have a hard time with that, Lord. And so for each of my brothers and sisters that's come forward, God, I ask, Lord, that you would move in their lives. God, I pray, Lord, that whatever it is they're seeking you for, God, that you would help them in that, God. God, that you reveal the answer to them. And God, if you don't change the storm, God, that you would calm them in the midst of the storm. God, there's supernatural peace in your presence. There's peace in following you. There's peace in knowing you. The world is looking for peace, and it's found only in you. And I thank you for that, God. Lord, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray if there's some who didn't come forward, God, that you would move in their lives right where they are. And Lord, I pray most of all, if there's one here that you have pricked their heart, they haven't surrendered their hearts to you. They're still fighting life on their own. God, they're still trying to justify themselves. God, you say, come. Come. And God, they can do that right where they are. They just, it's not complicated we just simply have said Lord have mercy on me a sinner and you see the heart you see what happens when that happens I don't but you do and I pray that God in Jesus name